0: The following program contains important but graphic material. These topics are designed to foster discussion but may be objectionable to some. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. This program is a training program on human trafficking, sextortion, social media exploitation, and child pornography based on actual cases. Our mission is to eradicate human exploitation and bring predators to justice. Now, here is the host of the program, Opal Singleton.
1: Well, hello and welcome to Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. This is Opal Singleton, and we have a really powerful show for you today. Uh, one of the things that I have noticed in the work that I've done and the uh, massive hours of research that I've conducted over the last 12 years, especially on the subjects of sex trafficking and sex extortion, child pornography, and social media exploitation, is the connection to large-scale sex trafficking and sex, um, sex or sexually exploiting people for that uh, where they benefit for money is uh, the connection between sexual exploitation and money laundering. And with that in mind, uh, I was connected to an individual that I'm really excited about sharing with you today. His name is Dr. Ian Oxnavad, He is a political scientist and political economist who teaches over at uh, University of California in Irvine. So for those of you that are listening that are out of the United States um, and in foreign countries, since this goes to many different countries, uh, that is in Southern California. It's about uh, 80, 90 miles north of San Diego, and and, uh, UC Irvine is just south of Los Angeles. And so uh, he is an instructor there at UC Irvine. I, I guest instruct there from time to time. My my main instruction is over at the other school, USC. <laughs> uh, but anyway... Uh, That's Southern California, if you don't know. Anyway, uh, he has a Ph.D. from the University of California, an M.A. in National Security Studies, a B.A. in Arabic. Oh, my. His research focuses on overlapping issues of economics and security, known as uh, threat finance. That is including the money laundering issue, terrorist financing, economic warfare, and other issues. Related issues. He regularly advises law firms on issues related to refugees from the Middle East and Africa, as well as advises others on issues of political and economic risk. And he has written extensively about the Middle East intelligence, terrorist financing, and other issues related to threat finance or money laundering. Now, he came to my attention because I've been studying the idea of money laundering related to these large scale crimes. I've done quite a bit of his reading. He has some very powerful um, articles out, and I understand he's coming out with a book. Much of his work is focused around the Middle East, but we know that there is sex trafficking and labor trafficking coming out of the Middle East, coming out of Africa, coming out of Eastern Europe, going into uh, to uh, Paris, going into Scotland and England and like that. And I, I've researched that so I feel very, very fortunate to have him as a guest today. So with that, I'm going to get started. Uh, Dr. Oxnavad, is it okay if I call you Ian? Is that all right? Yes, you can. <laughs> that way I won't mess up your name so bad. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway uh, Ian, I, I just read the biography that you provided to us, but tell me in your own words kind of how you got into this, your background, and, and where you're at today.
2: Yeah, so it was somewhat accidental. Um, I wound up getting a master's degree in, well, I backtrack. so my first degree was actually in English literature, and I was finishing my degree my last quarter as an English major. I had to take a political science class, and I absolutely fell in love with it, and I had been teaching myself Arabic on the side for a while, and I decided I probably should have been a poli-sci major that whole time, but I finished Mm -hmm. that degree in English and went and got a master's degree in national security studies, which is basically a subfield of political science focused on security issues, so things like terrorism, nuclear weapons, things like that. And when I did that, I also got my degree in Arabic. Mm -hmm. But when I went to get a Ph.D., I was interested in studying basically more of those issues, and everyone I wanted to work with at the doctoral level had left basically my first year as a Ph.D. student, and I was fortunately, uh, I didn't know it at the time, fortunately left with a lot of economists to work Uh with. And Uh I wound up taking a number of courses in international finance and studying uh, trade and economic issues, and I decided to try to combine the two, and when I started to put the two topics together, I started to find all these different issues that nobody really talks about to that extent, to to a very deep extent, and Mm -hmm. I decided, well, this is kind of a fruitful area academically, but also has real-world implications, so I started to look at economic warfare, terrorist financing, money laundering. And all these different issues and i realized that virtually nobody was studying this i mean there are a few people but uh not many not to the same Mm -hmm. degree that you have pure security people or pure economists or political economists so i decided to put them together i started to find all these different phenomena that are occurring all around us in kind of this very shady shadowy world um, that we don't often talk about we sometimes hear about it with things like the panama papers or, you know, some sort of scandal here or there or corporate espionage or how a bank, you know, laundered money for Iran or, or that kind of thing. But we don't often hear about them uh, in in an academic setting to any rigorous degree. And, you know, most people just kind of see these scandals and they go by but they don't try to understand them. Right. So that's kind of how I got allured to this. And I'm kinda of happy that it happened that way, that there was no a way to work with initially, otherwise I wouldn't have found this field.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, it, it, what you're saying is kind of like uh, a little bit of a journey I was on in that, you know, as I undertook a study of sex trafficking, everything initially looked like it was just local pimps with With, uh, and by the way, I don't want to minimize those. Those are really horrific things, but local pimps with local uh, girls being forced into it. And then as I began to study, one of the things I saw is that these are large scale rings and they're ran by people in foreign countries. And it's all about bringing in, in the case of the United States, U.S. or bringing in like Chinese, Korean, uh, Eastern European uh, people, South American people, and forcing them exploited sex, and that generates tens of millions of dollars more than any of us could have ever understood. And they have to have a way to get that money back home. So, and that's what it's all about. It isn't just the exploitation of pre- people. This is an industry and a financial industry. And that's what attracted me to you, and especially what you're seeing coming out of the Middle East. You're seeing that heavy in Europe.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, human trafficking is a huge industry, and it's one that's actually growing. And it's not just from uh, push factors, in you know, because of instability or economic, you know, uh, depravity back home. It's also because we're legalizing different things here. So I know that certain organizations, drug drug cartels, for example, you know, if they lose profits because, you know, all of a sudden a drug is getting legalized or they're not enforcing it, that's going to cut into their profit margin. So they need to look at other things that are not going to be legalized because there's a very high profit in trafficking something that's illegal because the risk is very high and not many people are doing it. So that leads to a very high profit. So you know if you legalize a certain drug then all of a sudden it's lower risk to enter into that market if you're a producer or a seller and if you want to keep your profit margins up you have to keep selling things that you have very little competition in so it's, a, it's a monopoly for one but it's also higher risk and higher payoff and of course no one wants to legalize slavery again and that's, right. that's <laughs> unfortunately that's unfortunately a very um big market because there's always there's always going to be a market for that so in some aspect of it you know it is it's it's morally evil but it's also just a business and that's how it has to be attacked is as a business
1: well we're coming up against that break folks so i'm going to ask you to stay with us a minute this is our guest today is uh, dr ian Oxnavad and he is a real expert in global uh, money laundering. So stay with us. Next section, we're going to get right deep into how all this works. We'll be right back.
3: Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: It's catastrophic. Opal Singleton, president of Million Kids, has written a powerful book for parents, educators, civic leaders, and first responders about how predators use social media, apps, chat rooms, video games, and the dark web to access, groom, recruit, and exploit young people. It is truly a must-read for every parent, grandparent, and teacher in America. Seduced, the grooming of America's teenagers, will help you understand how technology makes an innocent teen vulnerable to predators and how to talk to teens to keep them safe. Priced at $15.99 plus $4 shipping, Seduced can be ordered at millionkids.org. Share this with everyone you know.
3: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
0: You are listening to Exploited. Crimes Against Humanity. If you have a question or comment, please send an email to opal at millionkids.org. That's O-P-A-L at millionkids.org. Now, back to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Here again is Opal Singleton.
1: Welcome back to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Our guest today is Dr. Ian Oxnabod. And uh, he is a global money laundering specialist. Uh, his background is both economics, he's a political scientist, and uh, he has really spent his life understanding the mechanics and uh, also a lot of the uh, idealism, the cultural issues related to money laundering. With that, uh, I'm just going to like turn it over to him um Ian, let's let's kind of talk about exactly how this works, why it works, what's the theory behind it.
2: Sure. So, money laundering um, is at its core all it is is trying to separate the value obtained from an illegal activity and put it back into the above board economy in a way that can be used without having any connection to crime. So really what it is, is it's translating value from illegal activity into something that can be legally used. Now, the way that that works is you have three specific phases of money laundering. The first is placement, then the second is layering, and then the third is integration. So let's say that you have a drug dealer that obtains $100,000 worth of drug proceeds mm-hmm. or it could be uh, human trafficking or right. uh, illegal guns or anything, any sort of illicit activity. The $100,000 in order to be used effectively in for that individual or that organization, it has to be put back into the economy, it has to be separated from that illegal activity, that predicate crime is what it's called. Now, the way that that's done is through layering. So, you have this $100,000, and let's say you have a number of nail salons or nightclubs or pizza parlors or whatever, heavy cash businesses, that money just goes into the cash register, goes onto the books, then it can be deposited in a bank account or it could wind up in uh, multiple forms. It could be put into a piece of artwork and then auctioned off, and you could actually make a profit while you're layering it. It could be shuttled around from bank account to bank account in different jurisdictions that don't like to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. It could be put into gold and then sold in Dubai and then put into a wire transfer, you know, to Pasadena and then put into art. It, basically it can be translated through all these different means of, transmitting that value and then that's the layering and then ultimately it's going to wind up in some bank account where it can be used in the above board economy to buy maybe real estate or to be put back into uh, a legitimate enterprise Mm -hmm. maybe you buy some sort of legitimate business with the money and as a criminal organization or a terrorist organization you could actually wind up having legal businesses that you also own at the integration phase that you're also making money from, and it's connected to the illicit money as well. So Mm -hmm. that integration phase, that money can wind up, it's often real estate because real estate can hold a lot of value, and it can even distort entire markets. So for example, if you have a lot of drug money being funneled into real estate, that can create a artificial bubble in a real estate market in a given locale or a given city or country and that can actually yeah, I, price out locals and uh, above-board businesses.
1: I think that we really saw that back in, like, um, I can't remember, just the, the lead-up to 2008, before they changed all the borrowing laws, you would see a lot of straw buyers uh, come in and uh, do assumptions and things like that. And, uh, and uh, I was convinced at the time that that was money laundering.
2: Well, sure. So some of it could be, I mean, if you're flipping a house and you have the money that you're integrating back into the economy, you could even make money on the money that you're integrating by, you know, buying and flipping a house and taking a subprime mortgage that you just pay off with that. I mean, there are ways to do that. And yeah, obviously that's a, that's a way to, to expand, you know, your legal holdings from illicit proceeds. So it could be, it could be that in Latin America in many cases, You have local economies that are distorted because local people and even business people who are legitimate can't afford uh, housing or apartments or things like that or infrastructure because of all the money going in from drug proceeds. It can actually skew the market so that it prices out regular actors.
1: Interesting, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can really see that like in Argentina and some of the areas down there that have had Venezuela that's had uh, just – Intense economic changes.
2: Sure. Yeah, the tri-border area in Latin America is notorious for it. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. So um, basically what you're saying is that, and and where this really came home to me, is that as I began to study these large-scale foreign rings, um, they were kind of like being overlooked here in the U.S., and uh, weren't getting a lot of attention. And and then suddenly we had this large case out of, uh, it was actually it started out of Camarillo, but it was out of uh, San Gabriel, the Jerry Wang case. And in that case, they had, um, you know, hundreds of uh, Chinese national women and Korean women being brought in and put out for sex um, over a large-scale area. They had a multitude of... Uh, Ads going on, and uh, it was so big that it was ran through a telemarketing center. And the Jerry Wang's sister was buying and selling real estate, where they would take back private notes and and uh, turn the property over and like that. We saw another case out of Chino Hills and uh, Irvine, and in that case, there were over twenty thousand sex ads involved. Now, that's a whole lot of sex ads, okay? And and most uh, ads will will get anywhere from 5 to 20 customers. So that they were generating huge amounts of money. When they picked them up, the mother-daughter team that ran it had $1.5 million in cash. We're also seeing these large-scale um, illegal grows, which is fascinating. You, you were talking about that earlier. I mean, uh, marijuana is – is now legal in California, but you're having all these um, Chinese nationals, some of who speak other languages like Spanish, and doing large-scale growth. All of this is about moving large amounts of money. So that's what piqued my interest when we met, is that I? all of this is about getting the money out of our area and getting it to a foreign country.
2: Sure, and ironically, a lot of the money actually comes back because of the American financial system is such, and it's we just have huge markets. That's the thing that people, when they talk about these issues, don't understand is that the the U.S. is a massive market for not only illicit activities for drugs or human trafficking, but also it's a great place to park your money. And uh-huh. because of the size of the U.S., we actually attract a lot of illegal money, from around the world. It's not tax havens, believe it or not. Tax havens in certain regards, especially with terrorism for example, are actually cleaner in many cases than places like the US just because of our size. Um, mm-hmm. tax havens, they, they don't like to be pressured by big countries, uh, for different things. So they tend not to want to uh-huh. attract, um, a lot of terrorism related cash, for example. So they, they do try to keep themselves clean from that, uh, to a degree. But, uh, because the U.S. is so big, we tend to attract that illicit money at different, at different levels of its laundering process.
1: Yeah, and there's probably a tremendous opportunity in the U.S. I mean, uh, large-scale casinos, which I know are absolutely dedicated to combating uh, money laundering. I've worked with several of them, but but you think about the amount of money going through a lot of the casinos. A lot, our real estate market alone uh, would. Would provide a huge opportunity for that, but then you get into contraband goods and other things. Uh, I can see where you're oh, sure. saying this. You know, you have tremendous opportunity here.
2: It's uh, it's it's interesting that um, you know it could, it, it's you know, anything from wildlife to antiquities to to things like that, and and it all ultimately a lot of it ends up back in the United States in the late 1990s. There was um, a scholar by the name of Walker who actually created a model to sort of detect terrorist financing and money laundering. And they actually drew a model from physics looking at gravity called the gravity (laughs) model. And because the U.S. is so literally massive in economic terms, they basically retrofit that model, and they found out that because of just the the size of the American economy, it actually attracts a lot of money. Even though we actually have more laws in place than most places to um, combat this kind of thing.
1: Yeah, it's probably fairly easy to stay under the radar. I mean, you know that the laws you don't you don't do anything over ten thousand. And uh, you do multiple transactions. I know Jerry Wang's group, they had uh, 50 different bank accounts in nine different banks. Besides all the real estate they were buying and selling, that tells you that's a whole lot of illicit sex.
2: Sure. Sure. And you can have smurfing, which is where you have multiple people
1: using different accounts
2: and putting little bits of money here and there. Yeah.
1: Uh Uh-huh sure you bet and and they covered a large area from uh, Camarilla Ventura clear down to San Diego so they probably had a lot of opportunity to hide it uh, when we come back I want to talk about uh, money laundering related to um, webcam sex I, I really want to explore that idea with you and have the people listen in on it as we we just kind of chat back and forth uh, our guest today is dr. Ian. Navad. I'm getting better at his name. I don't know. I, multiple syllables threw me off. Sorry. Anyway, uh, I've really enjoyed having him on as a guest on this show and my other shows. So uh, stay with us, folks. It's going to be an interesting conversation when we come back. So be right back.
3: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: educators, civic leaders, and first responders about how predators use social media, apps, chat rooms, video games, and the dark web to access, groom, recruit, and exploit young people. It is truly a must-read for every parent, grandparent, and teacher in America. Seduced, the grooming of America's teenagers, will help you understand how technology makes an innocent teen vulnerable to predators and how to talk to teens to keep them safe. Priced at $15.99 plus $4 shipping, Seduced, can be ordered at millionkids.org. Share this with everyone you know.
3: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
0: You are listening to Exploited! Crimes Against Humanity. If you have a question or comment, please send an email to opal at millionkids.org. That's O-P-A-L at millionkids.org. Now, back to Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. Here again is Opal Singleton.
1: Hello and welcome back to Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. Uh, we're going to go into discussions, especially money laundering and terrorist financing and, and a lot of that kind of thing. Uh, as we talk, but I, I would really like to explore something with you. I'm, I'm doing a lot of research right now because we're in the middle of making a movie. And some of the numbers that I am seeing are just uh, unbelievable. I don't know if I can get my hands on them right this minute. But um, one, of the, one of the things that I'm seeing is the massive amount of money being generated in pay-per-view sex. Uh, I had no idea just how big it was. Um, in fact, let me just reach over here. I have a lot of show up here, sorry. Uh, but the numbers are absolutely amazing about what is going on because they are putting together uh, uh, pay-per-view, online sex, webcam sex, and uh, in this case, a lot of uh, cryptocurrency, that kind of thing. And what you're seeing is that interactive pornography and amateur pornography is one of the fastest going crimes, and it's all done by uh, subscription. I just looked at Pornhub last year; they had 42 billion downloads or 42 billion lists, uh, visits. Forty-two billion on one porn site, hundred and fifteen million visits a day. But the real money is coming out of these subscription services, where they interact. They they really have moved from having actors to um, to amateurs. And also being able to interact and have a subscription so that it turns into a relationship. And then you can do this offline, order up what you want, and all of this is being billed and billed heavily. So it's literally starting to be a billion-dollar business. And I look at this and I say, it isn't like you're shipping widgets, okay? It isn't, you're not sending out soccer balls. This is um, an electronic subscription for electronic activity. And what an opportunity to set up, and I'm not here accusing Pornhub of of money laundering, but you and I both know when you get into millions and millions of dollars that need to go somewhere, that uh, there's just ripe for uh, money laundering. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think
2: what's interesting about it is, you know, is this, if, if it's the predicate crime, as opposed to the laundering itself that you're talking about, and I think in, if in terms of human trafficking or maybe child exploitation, you're talking about the predicate crime with this that's actually creating the money. Right. Am I am I Right
1: yes I uh, you know there's there's always the thing um, here um, I almost have' it here uh, there's always the deal with you know are the people being violated and or are they their their own free will and you know it's it, it's kind of a fascinating subject when you look at it because you know we think of pimping and and uh, that's just a, a vile kind of thing. But when you look at a lot of these um, these sex sites where they're generating millions and millions of dollars, just the money transfer costs are fifteen percent. I go, that's you know, fifteen percent of ten million is almost like pimping, electronic pimping, you know. And then and then the the studio is getting a portion of it. And it, so yeah, there's that aspect of it. But what I'm seeing is that as the entire world is connected by internet, you're going to have a world full of three third world people who put their children out there or um, you have adults doing this in front of webcam sex and collecting money and that, you know, the sexual aspect of it and the exploitation is certainly one discussion. But I say to myself, you're looking at probably up to a billion dollars changing hands for, um, without delivering a product that you can get your hands on it's just ripe for for money laundering.
2: So it sounds like you're what from what from what you're saying that in the case of Pornhub or these porn sites, these pay-per-view sex sites, that they that they're actually facilitating um, the predicate crime, uh, and the per- predicate crime is actually being perpetrated by these whoever's exploiting the individuals at the micro level and then that money is being laundered and that can be laundered in a way that is so small that it's probably not going to be detected in many cases just because it's so small so if you have like let's say someone who's exploiting one individual in ukraine and that person is on webcam and it's just being hosted by Pornhub, then that money if it's if it's a predicate crime is going to be going back to that one person. And that would be laundered by that one person. Uh, there's not that any professional launderers, believe it or not. Um, most criminals launder their own money, but uh, it sounds like you're actually focused on the predicate crime aspect of this as opposed to where that money ultimately ends up. Cause that could be layered through any number of things, especially if you're talking about the local level. I mean, that could be, you know, if you have, 50,000 euros a year coming in just from the one person you're exploiting in the case of Ukraine or whatever, and you're putting that into local businesses or maybe you're buying little coffee shops or whatever, that could be, uh, you know, how it's laundered for that one person. So it looks like you're focused on the predicate crime aspect
1: of it. Well, and what, I mean, but interest- what, where I see this is that when when I start to understand that there are a and. 115 million visits a day on one porn site, and many of them are pay per view, they're subscription based. When there's 42 billion visits a year on porn sites, and many of them are subscription, that money isn't going to the person, you know, that's giving the sex. Now, they get paid by Pornhub ultimately, but there are many of these sites that are charging and giving subscriptions that are gathering in millions and millions of dollars, and then they then contract out with the providers. So rather than thinking in terms of the small personnel of the Ukraine, what you're seeing, the reason why I have this conversation with you is that what we're seeing on so many, uh, for instance, child pornography sites, um, they used to operate in the dark web, but they now have moved to bulletproof hosting, out of these third world countries, many of which launder money, for instance, uh, going out of Albania and Belize and uh, Malaysia and places like that. So if you're setting up a, a web c- uh, site where you have, you know, let's say 10,000 uh, sex, webcam sex providers, and they're all charging by the minute and, and uh, you're processing the fees and funds and giving them back to them and you're in a... Uh, you know offshore area with bulletproof hosting that just seems like that's ripe for bringing in literally millions of dollars and then it needs to go somewhere and you're already offshore
2: well yeah i mean in in this case the hosting sites would be part of that predicate crime and you know their illicit proceeds would have to be laundered as well depending uh-huh. on where the, lo- the locality of where this is happening. And, you know, if, if they need to hide, the more they need to hide it, the more laundering you're going to have, or, you know, you could just wind up bribing different officials to leave you alone, too. That's the other possibility.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, with this uh, this concept of bulletproof hosting, where you have uh, basically that the, the uh, up till now, a lot of this was taking place in the dark web, um, you know, uh, law enforcement's gotten better at getting scraping software and that kind of uh, algorithms and uh, nits and bots and all of those that that uh, check the dark web. So they've kind of like cockroaches that scattered when the lights come on and all moved to these offshore sites. And they're paying through the nose for really multi-levels of encryption so that they can deliver whatever kinds of things they want to on a subscription basis, and it's hard to get back in and track it for law enforcement. So that's an area that I see that is coming around. Um, having said that, we're coming up against a break. We have a couple, three minutes. I'd kind of like to uh, turn it back over to you. and um, I, I had to take that advantage of that time. But uh, where, uh, what's the difference, and maybe you don't have time to address this yet, but What is the difference between, for instance, money laundering and terrorism financing?
2: So the difference between terrorist financing and money laundering is pretty, it's based on time, basically. You know, with money laundering, you're trying to separate money that's illicitly gained from its ultimate end use. So you're actually trying to separate money from a crime that's already occurred, and all that money would be illegally obtained. With terrorist financing, on the other hand, you're dealing with both legal and illegal money that's obtained. So, for example, nonprofits, you know, are obviously working for a nonprofit motive some sort of intangible, right? Terrorism is like that in the sense that terrorism is ultimately built around or geared towards a political goal that has no tangible price tag. Unlike, you know, a drug cartel, for example, they're interested in making money. They're much more like a corporation. So a a terrorist group can actually have legally obtained money as well as illegal money. So you can have a, a gang that, you know, is politically motivated and engages in terrorism, uh, for example, you could have a jihadist gang that deals drugs, but they also potentially receive money from charities and donations from businesses or even money from a different country. And that money could be legally obtained that may not have to be laundered. So because you're trying to stop a future crime, it's actually different than trying to separate money from a predicate crime. So that that's where it starts to get dicey with civil liberties and things like that because you're talking ultimately about stopping a crime that has not yet been committed. So money laundering, you're dealing with entirely dirty money. Terrorist financing, you're dealing with dirty money and clean money. In some cases, the more clean money there is, the harder it is to actually stop and intervene to stop the terrorist financing because technically, in many cases, you may not have a crime that's been committed yet.
1: mm mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Interesting. I've never really thought of it that way. I would guess our listeners have not either. Um, I want to, uh, we're going to go ahead and take our break and then come back here. Uh, We're listening and uh, having as our guest today, Dr. Ian Oxnavon. Uh, He is a political scientist and a political economist and a very well-informed individual, um, informed on subjects that you may never have thought about, uh, and uh, it's fascinating conversation. So we're going to ask you to stay with us. We are going to take that quick break, and we'll be right back.
3: Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: It's catastrophic. Opal Singleton, president of Million Kids, has written a powerful book for parents, educators, civic leaders, and first responders about how predators use social media, apps, chat rooms, video games, and the dark web to access, groom, recruit, and exploit young people. It is truly a must-read for every parent, grandparent, and teacher in America. Seduced, the grooming of America's teenagers, will help you understand how technology makes an innocent teen vulnerable to predators and how to talk to teens to keep them safe. Priced at $15.99 plus $4 shipping, Seduced can be ordered at millionkids.org. Share this with everyone you know. Crimes Against Humanity. Here again is Opal Singleton.
1: Hello and welcome back to Exploiting Crimes Against Humanity. This is Opal Singleton. Our guest today is Dr. Ian Oxnavon. And uh, he and I were talking at the break here. Um, he has some ideas about legislation in sex trafficking and uh, and, as, and money laundering. So, uh, Ian, you want to take it away on that?
2: Sure. Um, so, basically... What I came across when I wrote a piece for a uh, financial industry journal not that long ago looking at how terrorist financing laws could actually be a basis for combating human trafficking. So the way that counterterrorist financing laws work is you had a number of laws passed that um, basically mandate that banks report on any suspicious activity uh, at the discretion of a bank. So basically, a suspicious act, a suspicious transaction occurs, the financial intelligence unit in that bank, that compliance officer will then file a report with the government, and the government's financial intelligence unit, usually it's in its central bank, but it can vary from country to country, they will then follow up with an investigation uh, working with the, whatever intelligence or law enforcement agency that country has that does this, and they will actually uh, intercede and basically intervene to to uh, investigate and potentially stop whatever is occurring. But what's interesting about the terrorist financing laws is that they actually, in the U.S. case, um, the Anti-Terrorism Act of 1990 and a number of different laws built around that, open banks and financial institutions to civil liability um, if they engage in Terrorist activities or they launder any money for terrorist groups So basically the the onus mm-hmm. on on is on banks to and financial institutions to not launder money for terrorists. It's up to them to actually make sure that they don't do that and if a terrorist group commits an attack, um, the victims and the families uh, the family members of those victims can actually then sue the entities that made the financing of that attack possible. So it opens them up to civil liabilities. Now Mm -hmm. that increases the risk of laundering money for terrorist groups or financing terrorism, so that actually increases the risk for the support apparatus needed for that terrorist activity to begin with. Now, it would be very simple to pass similar legislation to allow for victims of human trafficking to sue the logistical entities that wind up supporting, you know, their ordeal uh, to begin with. So instead of just going after the, it, the perpetrators or the johns in the case of sex trafficking or, uh, you know, if you're talking about labor, the actual the ultimate end-use employer, what they can actually do is pass legislation designed to expose, you know, the trucking companies, if you're talking about moving people, the banks the you know the restaurants or you know the porn sites or whatever you're talking about, you can actually open them to civil liability as well by using that same model
0: Hmm,
1: that's a fascinating concept um you know uh, we we need to give that some real thought because uh I mean these people are are literally i mean uh, that one ring had fifty different bank accounts and nine different banks and a lot of victims and uh so that, that probably accounts for why banks are really starting to stop and take a look at human trafficking. Uh, on the one hand, they're saying, you know, we want to look out for our public. On the other hand, they're probably looking out for themselves.
2: Well, Well, sure, banks are ultimately based on a profit motive, but if you make it financially risky for them to potentially engage in business with someone who's doing human trafficking or terrorism, then they're less likely to want to try to risk that to make a profit, it's all about profit and risk. From I mean, it sounds sociopathic, and but for a lot of these financiers and the entities that facilitate the financing, I mean, they ultimately are sociopathic. So the only way to do that is to is to increase the potential risk and increase the cost. So obviously, if you're talking about human trafficking, there's a massive logistical support that's needed for that. Unlike with other things, because you're talking about human beings. You know, you have to keep the human beings healthy. You have to move them around. You have to keep them quiet and intimidated. You know, that requires guarding and all this stuff that requires a lot of logistical support. And if you expose every aspect of that logistical support to potential risk and cost, that's going to drive up the operating costs of the traffickers to begin with and that will actually hurt their profit margins and it will make it riskier for other support entities, whether it's a trucking company or a bank or whatever, to actually engage with these actors to begin with. And that drives up their operating costs and makes it eat harder for them to do business. Because sure, and by bike.
1: using civil li- uh, liability. Uh, Ian, we are coming up a close. I understand you have a new book coming out. And also, um, I will tell the audience, if you want to reach uh, Dr. Evan Ian Oxnavad, you can do that by contacting me, Opal, O P A L at MillionKids.org. And just uh just go on our website, hit info if nothing else. But Ian, uh, you have a new book coming out. Uh so anything you want to share about that in the last couple of minutes?
2: Sure. The book I have uh coming out, it's under contract with McGill Queen University Press. And it basically it looks at how banks certain banks get away with financing terrorism and why certain banks do not. Uh, I have a number of case studies in that, and I test sort of the process about what allows certain banks to uh, get away with it while other banks don't and the findings are pretty chilling
1: <laughs> Really? Um,
2: but What's yeah be the uh, book the title you know? the title is uh, making a killing banks or uh, states banks and Terrorism and uh, that should be coming out early next year
1: uh-huh. Well, we're down to our last two minutes. Anything you want to leave with our audience while you're here?
2: Uh, other than I hope everyone is safe out there and to, you know, when you think about doing business with your bank or whatever, just know that there's a compliance officer that's watching you. And
1: <laughs> and uh, it,
2: there's a, the economy is more than just what you see. It is... It is all around you all the time. You may think that you're insulated from all of this stuff, but it's all around you everywhere, regardless of what currency you use, what bank you use. Um, it's it's all around us all the time.
1: And any time, any time you participate in an illicit activity, for instance, going to one of these... Uh, Foreign massage parlors—the money that you're putting in there can easily end up in in a, a money laundering operation. Same is true of illegal pot grow and that kind of thing. So if you see it, you know about it, then report it. You can do that by calling one eight 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 three seven three seven eight eight eight. I'll give it one more time: one eight 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 three seven three seven 888 or if you didn't get that number just write to me opal at millionkids.org folks i hope you have a happy holiday i hope that you will take the time to put your arms around your family tell your kids you're proud of them give your wife give your husband a big hug I will tell you that this year is one of those years where we all need each other. Thank you very much to Dr. Ian Oxnavod. I appreciate it. Uh, If you want to reach him, just contact me. You folks have a great holiday time. I'm going to be taking a little bit of time off myself. And uh, we are looking forward to an exciting, exciting and prosperous 2021. Have a great holiday, folks. See you next time.